Let's open our Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 16. Ezekiel chapter 16. Let's briefly remind ourselves where we were when we were together a few hours ago and go forward in this study of spiritual adultery. To the degree that we lose our first love, we are offensive to God like a wife is offensive to her husband when she loses her first love. When we become lukewarm in our service to God, we become offensive to Him like a wife is offensive to her husband when she does everything in a lukewarm way. When we become friends with the world, we become the enemies of God by choice because we decide to flirt and to befriend another lover and the, who is the enemy of the Lord God in heaven. And he considers it spiritual adultery. Amen. As I showed you from James 4.4, 4, which is the most pointed passage in all the word of God, and yet this theme is run from the book of Exodus to the book of Revelation all the way through the Bible, our relationship to the Lord God and to his son Jesus Christ is very much like a marriage. And to the degree we slough off in our affection toward him, we become lukewarm or we befriend the world, we commit spiritual adultery. Amen. Let's remind ourselves in Ezekiel 16, reading verses 30 through 34, where we ended as we quit this morning. Remember, Ezekiel 16, those of you, many of you read it last evening in preparation. There are 63 verses here, very graphic, very lewd, and unless you're worldly wise or you study the passage very carefully, you miss some of the things that the Lord God puts in here to describe the base, wicked, profane, lascivious conduct of this woman against her husband. True. You'll miss it, but it's there. There's nothing this world has come up with that the Lord God didn't know about before they ever dreamed of it. True. And it's here in this passage, and it's here in Ezekiel 23, and it's in a number of other chapters, but these are the two chief ones right here. And the purpose is to grab the hearts of men, because men reading, of, and women, thank you, sister, and women can read the word of God and see this wicked woman selling herself, opening her feet to any man that will come by, as the Lord describes it on and on, I'm being very kind. That is to grab our attention, that when we lose our first love, when we become lukewarm, it is as if we are flirt, we are the wife of a man flirting with his enemy and then being intimate with that enemy against the Lord our God. And the whole key here is spiritual adultery. These people of Israel were following other gods, and the Lord God described it as whoring. Whoring. The word whore in the Bible used of a woman who has frequent fornication is only used a few times that way. But the word whoredom and whoredoms and whoring and whore and whores are used many times to describe spiritual adultery when we are not dedicated with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength to the Lord God, our Creator, and our Savior, but we forget Him and get enamored with the world. So we have this chapter and many more and many other verses like it through the Bible exhorting us to remember that we are married to one, even our Savior Jesus Christ, and to live faithfully to him 
loving him with our whole hearts. Doesn't every woman in here know what I'm talking about? That every day is a job to love your husbands? And husbands, if you didn't know it, it takes a lot of work every single day for your wives to love you. But that is also true of all of us toward our Lord. The Bible tells us to set our affection on things above. It doesn't happen naturally. You have to set it there. You have to make a conscious effort out of your day to take your affections and set them on things above. Love is not something that happens to you. Love is something you make happen, and you must set it on the things of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is a choice. You can revive those feelings just like you can in a marriage. If a woman were to go back and do the first works, choose to do the things that she did to her husband when she was dating him or when she was first married, she would restore the feelings that she had from back then by making that investment. And when we make that investment in the Lord Jesus Christ, the feelings will flow from the Spirit of God by making that investment. We set our affection on things above. Let's read the Word of God as he describes how contrary the heart of this imperious, whorish woman was. Ezekiel 16.30 How weak is thine heart, saith the Lord God, seeing thou doest all these things, the work of an imperious, whorish woman. In that thou buildest thine eminent place in the head of every way, and makest thine high place in every street, and hast not been as an harlot, in that thou scornest hire. But as a wife that committeth adultery, which taketh strangers instead of her husband, they give gifts to all whores, but thou givest thy gifts to all thy lovers, and hirest them, that they may come unto thee on every side for thy whoredom. And the contrary is in thee from other women in thy whoredoms, whereas none followeth thee to commit whoredoms, and in that thou givest a reward, and no reward is given unto thee. Therefore, thou art contrary. The heart of Israel was worse than the heart of a harlot. A harlot was at least getting paid for what she was doing. Israel was giving away her wealth to these other gods. And these other gods could not do anything for her, and these other gods were not pursuing her. You know, harlots have men calling at their door. There was no one calling at Israel's door. Israel went out of her way. This, and the Lord just tears into them in chapters like this, describing their contrary heart. Now we say, uh, well, that's, that's nice. That's the Old Testament, and it's just, it's just cataloged nicely back there is the Old Testament. But see, we came to James 4.4 4 this morning, and we're told, you adulterers and adulteresses, James 4.4. 4. And there wasn't a thing in there about breaking your marriage vows to one another. It was entirely a spiritual adultery because of the next words. Because friendship with the world is enmity with God. Amen. When we flirt with the world, it is God looking down from heaven and seeing our heart wandering after someone else other than him. And he is offended and he is the most jealous husband the world has ever seen. You know that from the Bible. I'm not taking you there again. It's repeated over and over again. His jealousy burns in anger when he sees our heart wandering after the world or our eyes. And the Lord wants to get our attention by a man realizing he's got his wife in the house with him, but he's lost her heart. The Lord wants to get our attention. He's got the wife in the house with him, but whenever he goes out, her eyes are wandering after her lovers. 
Does he get your attention at all? Amen. He gets our attention because that's what happens when we lose our first love and become lukewarm in our service toward him. So much more could be said from so many other passages. But what causes this spiritual adultery? What's the, what's the number one sin of Israel under the old covenant that he called spiritual adultery? It was idolatry. Idolatry, where they would bow down and worship idols of stone, graven images. Thou shalt have no graven images, we read in Exodus chapter 20, because the Lord thy God is a jealous God. And do you know what happens when I say that? We think to ourselves, oh, idols are stupid. I'd never have an idol. Won't, doesn't want everybody raise their hand with me? I'd never have an idol. I wouldn't be guilty of idolatry. So why don't we just turn in our Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Amen. I'd never be guilty of idolatry. How do we, how, what causes spiritual adultery? When we go back through the Old Testament, we see Israel bowing down to Baal, Israel bowing down to Molech, Israel bowing down to other gods and offering even their children as burnt sacrifices and blood sacrifices to those gods. And we see that over and over, and that is much of what the Lord is condemning under the Old Covenant. But that's just a picture for us. He's going to get this much closer to home because, see, you're not an idolater, are you? You're not an idolater, are you? No, we're not idolaters. We love the Lord our God. I'd never bow down to something made of wood or stone. Watch. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5. Amen. Mortify, that is put to death, therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness. Is that the end of the verse? Nope. Covetousness. It defines covetousness for us. What does it say? Which is idolatry. Amen. Covetousness. Wanting something that is not yours. Wanting something that you do not have. Wanting something so that it becomes obsessive to you and results in a dysfunctional life because you are discontent. If you are discontent in your life, you are guilty of idolatry because you are wanting your life and something in your life to be different that God has given you. Of course, that does not mean those things that we are supposed to change. I hope that everybody can remember right now that little serenity prayer, God grant me the grace to accept the things I thank you. Thank you, son. I owe you something on the way home for you. Lord, grant me the grace to accept the things I cannot change. The wisdom to change the things that I can and no. So how, how does it go? I forgot it right now. And the wisdom to know the difference between things I can and I cannot change, of course, that's over here. Things that we can change and should change. For the glory of God, we should change them. But leaving those all aside, if you are discontent in your life, if you're discontent, it's because you have an idol. And if you have an idol, it's, it's an idol of covetousness, and the Lord calls it idolatry, and therefore we've created a substitute. Here's how it works. The Lord God of heaven 
is infinitely superior to anything in this world. He has set his entire affection on us. He has promised us an eternal inheritance. He gave up the blood of his son for your soul. He, can, he sends fruitful seasons into your heart, and he will dwell with you by his very presence in your soul. If you are ever discontented in your life about anything you have, you are saying all those things God is and has done for me and has promised for me are not enough. Do you understand the seriousness of it? That's why the apostle would say covetousness, which is idolatry, because you have raised up something so high, it becomes a competitor to the Lord God himself. Right. Amen. After all he is and all he's done and all he's promised, if you're discontent, why are you discontent? Because you have elevated something. And I don't know what it is. Your appearance. You're covetous to lose another inch. I don't know if it's your job. You want to make more money. You want a promotion. You want a bigger house, better house, this or that, and you become discontent. You're guilty of covetousness, and you're an idolater, and you've offended the Most High God, and you wonder why nothing's working in your life? He's angry, and that's what the whole lesson is about. We want to tremble before him and give him all the affection that we owe him, and we should want to give him. What he's given us is by his will. I taught you that last Sunday, and I taught you on Tuesday from Proverbs 16.4. He didn't do everything in your life for you. He did everything in your life for him. Therefore, be content with it. I hope you can see how covetousness is idolatry. Amen. Let your conversation, I can quote scripture better than I can quote these cute little sayings, I hope. The Lord may saw off my other leg right now. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Amen. The whole basis of a contented life is loving the Lord Jesus Christ right. and of knowing him. Discontentment is because you have lost sight of who he is and what he has done for you and what he has promised to do in the future. And that's it. And if we're discontented, it's because his words, aren't these the words of a lover? I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. That's the Lord God speaking to us very personally and very intimately. Amen. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And yet that is not enough. We become discontent. That is idolatry and it is spiritual adultery. To be discontented is spiritual adultery because you are not happy with your husband. He is not enough for you. You want to lose another inch, make another 10,000 a year, have a bigger house or whatever it is that you are discontent with in your life. Contentment is satisfaction, which is the necessary ingredient to be a faithful spouse. The Lord has never let any of us down. There is never a reason to be discontent with him. The only reason you're discontent is because you've made something else your idol. Do you know the Bible teaches us that we can commit spiritual adultery when anyone else on this planet becomes more important to us than the Lord? And it happens. And so he said, I will bring a sword between a man and his father a daughter and her mother. As the truth of the gospel is revealed to people, they have to pay, make a decision. They have to draw lines. I can do this. I can go this far, but I can go no farther. Jesus said, think not that I came to bring peace on earth. Don't think that because I didn't come to bring peace on earth. I came to bring a sword and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Jesus turned to the multitude and said, if a man hate not his father 
mother, brother, sister, wife, children, yea, and his own life also, cannot be my disciple. Because I'm very possessive as a savior, and I want all of my disciples' hearts and love and affection and desire toward me, not toward one of these people I have given them on loan. You have a father and mother on loan. You have children on loan from the Lord. They're his, they're not yours, they're his. And we never let them come between us and the Lord. When they come between us and the Lord and we start making decisions to keep our relationship with them rather than with the Lord, we commit spiritual adultery. All men know. Do all of you men know what the word perfunctory means? Perfunctory. That's when your wife is like a mannequin. Okay? Perfunctory. Perfunctory is when you've lost affection, when you're just going through the motions. Now do all the men know what I'm talking about? Okay, we're, we're making progress. Where'd the word perfunctory come from? It's perfect for the word. It's perfect for what I'm trying to communicate right now. When a wife loses her affection and excitement and zeal and fervor and goes through the motions, and we think of things like a mannequin, when a wife is no longer in love with her husband, when it's not coming out of her in her actions, and it's not visible in her eyes, heard in her words, that becomes very offensive to her husband. And it is with the Lord. You know, you know how easy this is to come in to his house and to sit and to sing, sort of, to pray, sort of, to go through the motions. That's perfunctory worship. It's unacceptable. Do you know what it's called in the Bible? It's called having a form of godliness and denying the power thereof. It's having a ritual. It's having an assembly and not having a heart that is in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's spiritual adultery. It is offensive to men when their wives do it, and it is most offensive to God when we just go through the motions with him. Do you know who we're talking about? We don't go through the motions with the Most High God. He won't accept if we've lost our first love. You know what he said to that church at Ephesus? You know it so well. He commended them for their doctrine. He commended them for trying those that said they were apostles and were not, and for finding them to be liars. He commended that church for many things, their diligence and their faithfulness. He commended the church at Ephesus for many good things. But he said, because you have lost your first love, I will take my candlestick away. And my candlestick is my personal presence by my spirit in that church. And a church without the spirit is a dead carcass. In Proverbs, it's called the congregation of the dead. They meet, they sing, they pray, and they go home. But the Lord left them long ago. And it's what every minister fears. And it's what every church ought to fear. Yes. And it's the warning of the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3. Because the church had lost their first love. And we all know that, don't we? In, from our own marriages. And that's why marriage is used throughout the Bible to remind us of what first love is. And while I want first love to exist in our homes, I want first love to exist between your soul and the Lord much more. Right. Same place in the Bible. He will spew out of his mouth. Now, does that sound like he loves what's in his mouth? That lukewarm taste of a lukewarm woman? He will spew out a lukewarm church. And that is why we want to set our affections on him. And when we come in here, when we sing, when we meet, when we greet the other saints, we want our hearts to be fully in it. But we are 
torn away whenever we go outside of this assembly by the onslaught of the world to steal our affections away. The devil uses all that is out there to entice, to seduce, and to allure us into living a rather carnal existence. And he sees that. He wants us overwhelmed with him. He wants us ecstatic about him and what he's done for us. And Christians ought to be the happiest people on earth. They ought to show up wherever they go as glowing, happy people because of their love of the Lord Jesus Christ. I do not mean because of their personality. I mean because of their love of Christ. Look at James 4.4. 4. Obviously, if there's a verse I need you to take home, it's this one. James 4.4. 4. I've quoted it once. We'll look at it again. James 4.4. 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, And this is not describing what we would consider literal adultery. This is spiritual adultery. This is not James writing to a church where everyone was committing the sin of breaking the seventh commandment. This is James writing to, a, to saints that were scattered abroad, the 12 tribes of Israel, according to the first two verses of the book, and explaining to them that they were living carnal Christianity. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Everything the world stands for and what it does, where it puts its emphasis, the things that it offers, when we get attracted to those things, we become the enemies of God because we are befriending his enemy. He is totally opposed to the world. When Jesus Christ appeared on the surface of this planet and lived a perfect life of righteousness and preached peace, healing the sick, and casting out devils, they crucified him on a cross. And they would just as fast in this generation if he were to appear again. If Mel Gibson's movie that's going to come out in Easter about three or four months from now, if that movie sells, you can know one thing about it for absolute certainty. It is of the devil. That's right. If more than $10 million, if more than $10 million is the take on Mel Gibson's Jesus, the passion, the last 24 hours of Jesus, it is of the devil. Now, we already run a 99% chance of being right just because it's Mel Gibson. Because, see, the world would never accept the real Jesus Christ. Right. If the real Jesus Christ was presented, they would crucify him again just as quickly as they did the first time. That world is what we go out into every day, and we've got to recognize that all of its advertising and all of its goals and all of its priorities are of the world and are not of the Lord. And when we get attracted toward them, we are his enemy. Look at 1 John chapter 2. These are verses that you know. All I want to do today is for you to go out of here thinking, I am married to the Lord. That's, that's about all. I am married to the Lord. Do I love him with a first love? Or am I rather lukewarm? Am I perfunctory? Or am I full of zeal? Do I truly love the Lord Jesus Christ? Have I set my affection on things above like I should? Or am I an, an idolater? Am I an adulterer? Does he look at me and see my heart wandering, my eyes wandering, my thoughts wandering? I hope that by the grace of God and his mercy toward us, he doesn't look into this assembly and see us with any inventions. Because you know how often we read that word invention in Psalm 106 this morning. 
I hope we don't have any inventions. And if he shows us any, we want to change them. We always want to be willing to change to meet the standard of Holy Scripture. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, love not the world. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You can't love them both. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. These are antithetical to each other. There's a great, there's a church, a group of churches that are of the reformed persuasion out of Holland, and they call their movement the antithesis. The antithesis, which means to be the opposite of something, because they know that they must be the opposite of the world. The antithesis of the world is God, and the antithesis of God is the world. They are not buddies, they're not cousins, they're not second cousins. They are opposites. And when we drift toward the world, we are drifting away from God, and we commit spiritual adultery by love, whatever is in the world that attracts you. And you know, I preach on that at other times. But whatever it is that is in the world that, that, that your soul leans toward or your eyes run after, the Lord sees that as adultery. And my purpose is for us to rededicate ourselves as the wives, the wife as a church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and be faithful with a full heart until he comes for us. Friendship with the world. You know, the Apostle Paul said, I am crucified with Christ, and I'm dead to this world. And the world's kind of dead to me. You know, there was no relationship between Paul and the world. They hated him, he hated them, because of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ in Galatians 6.14. It's covered pretty well there. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. You know why I'm preaching this because we live in the perilous times of the last days. And so it's going to come up over and over again because we must war against something that once took us down as a church. And there's only one person responsible other than all of you, and that was your pastor. And that is your pastor. But I will continue to preach against it because I am told to and I know what happened the last time. Amen. Look at what it says in the first five verses of 2 Timothy 3. This know also, Paul to Timothy, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Here are dangerous times, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, Fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded. And here we go. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. This is not a description of the world. The world has always been in love with itself. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, unthankful, unholy. The world has always been that way. This is a brand of Christianity. And it can be our brand of Christianity if we're not fighting a war against it all the time. There are lusts that war against our souls and that war against our church. And we must fight them by putting them off. We read in Colossians 3, mortify them, 
put them to death. That means cut those things out of your life and replace them with other things in your life. Music. You can listen to the world's music and the world's music will take you down. There is no such thing as a spirit-filled Christian that listens to the world's music. It is impossible because they are antithetical to each other. They are the antithesis of one another. One is worshiping the world, both in its musical composition and in its lyrics, and the other is worshiping God in its musical composition and in its lyrics. And you say, how do you know the difference about the musical composition? Just go where there are people that are spirit-filled, loving the Lord Jesus Christ, and keeping the doctrine which is according to godliness, and see what kind of music they listen to. It's not Jesus rap. It's not Jesus rock. And it's not Jesus country. By their fruits ye shall know them. Tammy Wynette does not know how to sing to Jesus Christ. Nor do these rappers. All you have to do is look for the fruit. Are there people there that are following the word of God and loving the Lord Jesus Christ himself according to the doctrine which is according to godliness? That's just taking one little thing. You have to make a decision every day. Am I going to listen to the world's music? You say, what about Yanni? What about Yanni? Is he heterosexual? What do you want to talk about, Yanni? I want to warn you very much about any of that music. You feel, if you take every minute that you listen to Yanni and think that it does you good and replace it with hymns and songs of praise to the Lord Jesus Christ, it'll change your life. Amen. It'll change your life. Do you know why Yanni's popular? Come on. Whatsoever is highly esteemed in this world is what to the Lord? Is an abomination to the Lord. Take your pick. Is he popular in this world? You say there's no lyrics, so I feel that I can justify it. Why is it so popular? Does it make all the demons happy everywhere? Is that why it's popular? I mean, you've got to ask yourself some serious questions. Am I serving the Lord Jesus Christ, or am I drifting over here and enjoying something that's tearing me away from him? If we really love the Lord, why would we want to hear noise coming from his piano about anything else but praise the Lord Jesus Christ? If we, really, if we truly were in love with him, we'd want to hear nothing but spiritual music. I'll put Psalm 45, thank you, brother, this afternoon until Brother Dolph arrived. Those cha the chapel singing from England of Psalm 45, I'll put that up against Yanni any day. You get in another room with your little Yanni and let me have a room where I'm singing Psalm 45, my favorite psalm to the Lord Jesus Christ, and listening to it for a couple of hours, and we'll see who loves the Lord the most at the end of those two hours. Amen. Because that will take your mind away, even by musical composition, without lyrics, versus mine leading me to love that conquering prince that loves his people and who puts his beauty upon them and the king's daughter is all glorious within and I get to go to the marriage supper of my savior in Psalm 45. Mm -hmm. That was just one, I just, took, I just chased a rabbit with one little example of what it means to put to death the flesh and the world in your life. Look at Matthew 6, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. I want to show you that Jesus said you can't love us both. 
You know, that's, that's what the flesh wants to convince us of. I can have both. Can I have both? I can still be a good Christian and do this. I can still love the Lord and do this. And the Lord wants us to know he wants everything we've got. And you will not be happy until you give him everything. You will not truly be happy until you give the Lord everything. And until you've given him everything, the thought of giving him everything is overwhelming to your flesh. Because your flesh is fighting giving up those last few things. Are you all with me when I say that? You will not be happy till you give it all to the Lord because he's not going to let you be happy. In Psalm 106, Israel was not happy with their manna. They said, we want quail. He gave them quail. He gave them quail three feet high all the way around the camp of Israel. And until it was coming out their nose, he said, and he killed them for it. He gave them their quail, but he said he sent leanness into their soul. That is Psalm 106. That leanness in your soul is unhappiness and discontentment and an unsatisfied life. And that is what you will have until you are filled with the fullness of God and being content with him. But giving up those last things are very hard to do because the flesh and the devil doesn't want you to give them up. And so if you're in the flesh by holding on to a couple of secret toys, these are called idols of your heart in the book of Ezekiel chapter 14. These are idols in your heart. If you hold on to them, you'll never be happy. And you know what? Your flesh does not want to give them up at all. It is fighting you. And while you're in the flesh, knowing that you should get rid of those things, it looks impossible. I can't be happy if I give them up. That's a lie from the devil. That is a lie from the devil. Your only happiness, the only possible happiness you can have, is to give them all up and give the Lord Jesus Christ everything. You know, if someone says to me, you're too extreme, do you know how exciting that is for me to hear that? You're too extreme? How in the world can you be too extreme for the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, if I start altering the word of God, we're too extreme. But until we get to that point, how can you be too extreme for the Lord Jesus? I think the, the Apostle Paul looks rather extreme, and I would say that the Lord was rather pleased with him. Did, doesn't he look extreme? He put up with quite a bit for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Look at Matthew 6, 24. Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. Either I'm your husband or someone else is. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. That's why I say there is no such thing as a goal for any of you to be a successful Christian businessman. That is not the goal of a Christian. That is a sinful ambition, to be a successful Christian businessman, because you have squeezed success into the goal for your life. And the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil, and success is measured by money. Why don't you say, I want to be a successful Christian? Make that your goal, and if the Lord adds money to it, praise his holy name. But make, I want to be a successful, I want to be a Christian, not a, a successful Christian, not a successful businessman. That's what I mean when I make that statement. And to me, it's very important because I know how my heart works in thinking through, can I have the world and the Lord? How about if I'm a successful Christian businessman? You know, I've got some bucks that I can help the Lord's cause out with. And I can be a Christian. You can't serve two masters. The Lord says, seek my kingdom first and all my righteousness. I'll add these other things to you. 
But you know what? If you try to hold on to having both and being the successful Christian businessman, you'll never get either. Because those who try to save their life will lose it. And Jesus said, if you will lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. That is the only way, way to have a fulfilled life is to give it up for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. Being a friend with the world, you're the enemy of God. How do we commit spiritual adultery? We let our children marry unbelievers. How many times do we see in the, in the didn't we read that this morning, Exodus 34, verses 10 through 17? It is, a pro, it is a paramount importance that our children marry in the Lord. Because if we let our children marry unbelievers, then we are committing spiritual adultery because those unbelievers are going to tear our children away from the very gospel that God has given us to give to them. It happened to Solomon and it happened to many others. Many things could be said about that. If we, try to, to, if we choose to do things differently in the worship of God, you know, the whole, the whole Christian world in our country is bent on innovations right now. They're just going wild. They don't want to be called churches anymore. They want to be called fellowships. They don't want to be called Baptists anymore. It's just, the whole world is breaking down. They want contemporary worship. Come as you are, the signs say around Greenville. If you, if you come back, we promise not to throw the book at you. That's the First Baptist Church of Malden. Bless their hearts. We promise not to throw the book at you if you'll come back to church. What are they talking about? I'm supposed to take the book and throw it at you. Amen. I'm supposed to take the book, which is a fire and a hammer, and break the rock in pieces. Amen. According to the Word of God. Inven inventions everywhere. Super Bowl Sunday's coming up. Should we cancel our evening service and rent a big screen? You know, the other Baptist churches in town are. Inventions everywhere. Nadab and Abihu tried some inventions. And the Lord sent fire out and consumed them, even though they were worshiping the right God at the right place at the right time. They just went too far and passed the curtain into the Holy of Holies, I do believe. But it says they offered strange fire. Now, I like that word strange, because any woman that you're not married to in the Bible is called strange, because she's a foreigner to you. She's strange to you. She is not your companion that your wife is. They offered strange fire. They tried something a little different. They had contemporary church. Nadab and Abihu did in Leviticus 10, and the Lord burned them up. Amen. That's how we commit spiritual adultery. Right now, I'm running through different ways that we commit spiritual adultery. How do you flirt with the world? Each of you, you have to ask yourselves right now, how do you flirt with the world? Is it with the television? That's the devil's pulpit preaching at you. How much room do you let the devil have in your home and in your life by preaching at you through his television? The very best programming you can tell me about. The very best. And if you tell me about one exception out of 150 channels and 365 days in a year and 24 hours in a day, I'm not going to listen to you. The very best that Hollywood can put together is faithless living, which doesn't have any nudity, so all the mommies say that's okay, which doesn't have any cursing, so the daddies say okay, but it's faithless, hopeless living, which is spiritual adultery, because our God has given us a life full of faith and full of hope. And when we watch that stuff that has no faith and no hope in it, we are committing adultery against the God that has given us faith and hope. And the very best is faithless living. When anything bad happens in, in those television programs, 
they never go to the Lord for help because it's not faith-based living. When anything good happens, they never thank the Lord because they never believe anything they got came from him. Where, where do you flirt with the world? When you flirt with the world with your eyes or your heart or your activities, it's like a husband catching a wife on a date with another man. That's how the Bible puts it from the beginning to end. What do you flirt with? Is it your television? Is it your family? Do you compromise for your family? Is it your friends? Do you have friends that are destroying your good conversation in Christ? Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Is it bodily exercise? Is that too important to you? Is it music? Is it business? Is it your time? Where do you flirt with the world? What things get you the most excited? The blessed God ought to get us the most excited. We ought to get the most excited about hearing the things of God, reading the things of God, singing praise to the Lord. That ought to excite us the most. Do you know what David said in Psalm 137? He, he told the Lord, he said, Let my right hand forget her cunning if I ever lose my love for the tabernacles of Jerusalem and for the temple at Jerusalem. Let me lose my abilities. Let me lose myself if I ever forsake my love of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was where the Lord was worshipped. Look at Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. If you go home with just this thought, what can I do tonight and tomorrow and this week to be a better spouse of the Lord Jesus Christ? I'll be happy as a pastor. Philippians 3, 18. And we got two verses inside of parentheses. This is a little warning stuck inside parentheses for us. Look at what the apostles told the Philippian church. For many walk. Now, is this just a few isolated cases? No. You know what? Today, this is the majority of Christians. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame. And what's the one thing that gives them away? What are these belly worshipers? What are these enemies of Christ? Are they people that go out and, and are they Muslims? Are these Muslims or are these Christians? These are Christians. Are these Christians that blaspheme? These are Christians that mind earthly things. The last four words of verse 19, who mind earthly things. That is a horrible, this is what I'm talking about the whole day. To mind earthly things, to be caught up in earthly things, to have a heart toward earthly things, is to be a belly worshiper and to be an enemy of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's too much for most people to even hear, but that's because he's God and he him everything and when we don't give him everything and we get enamored with the world we are belly worshipers and enemies of the cross of Christ may the Lord have mercy on us and I hope that you'll remember that passage you know the Lord when you read the book when you read the Old Testament you can see the Lord judging spiritual adultery rather harshly doesn't he did he did he sell Israel off to the Assyrians never to be seen from again. Did he sell Judah off to the Babylonians? 
Yes, for 70 years. He brought them back. Did he sell them into the hands of the Romans in 70 AD? Yes, he did. He pounded them for their spiritual adultery, and he will pound us. But brethren, I want to tell you something. We have the most faithful spouse the universe has ever seen. Look, look back at Ezekiel 16. Ezekiel 16. I want to show you how that horrible chapter ends. There's 63 verses in that chapter. Those verses are long, and they're full of material describing the wickedness of Israel. But notice how the chapter ends. Do all of you know how it ends? Isn't it wonderful? Yes. Do you know when we read Psalm 106 this morning, it said many times he delivered them. What does that mean in, if, with our theme of today? Many times the Lord took back his adulterous wife. You wouldn't do it like the Lord did. He is different than we are. He is far more merciful than we are. Many times he delivered them. Look at Ezekiel 16, beginning at verse 60. After 59 verses of aggravating their sins and showing how heinous they were, he says this. Nevertheless, I will remember my covenant with thee in the days of thy youth. Remember how the chapter started? I cast my skirt over thee, and I made a covenant with thee, because it was the time of love. This is the glory of the Bible. His ways are higher than our ways, Amen. and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Amen. And that is not a verse describing the omniscience of God. That is a verse describing his ability to pardon men. That is describing his ability to take back an adulterous wife. Nevertheless, I will remember my covenant with thee in the days of thy youth, and I will establish unto thee an everlasting covenant. Then thou shalt remember thy ways, and be ashamed, when thou shalt receive thy sisters, thine elder and thy younger. And I will give them unto thee for daughters, but not by thy covenant. And I will establish my covenant with thee, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord, that thou mayest remember, and be confounded, and never open thy mouth any more, because of thy shame, when I am pacified toward thee for all that thou hast done, saith the Lord God. Amen. You know, sometimes the Lord lets us get into sin so that when he recovers us and brings us back, we will never again open our mouths in any pride or arrogancy because we know we are totally dependent on him. True. And he let that happen to Israel. You know, I, I'm totally out of time. Do you know how many verses there are that talk about him remembering his covenant? And if my children forsake my covenant and break my law, I yet will be faithful. You can go back to the Lord every single day, and he will receive you. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and it cleanses from all unrighteousness. He will take back the wandering wife every day. Incredible. You would never do it. You would never even come close to it. And again, I want to say, when the Bible says... My thoughts are higher than your thoughts, and my ways than your ways. You need to go read it, Isaiah 55, 6 through 9. That's describing one thing in that context. The abundant pardon that God is able to give those that come to him and ask for forgiveness. See, when we think about adultery, we think about how we would be violated, how seriously we would be violated, and how if it were to continue and happen over and over again, we would be unable to forgive. But the Lord wants us to know Come back to me again. I'm still married to you. Jeremiah 3. Amen. Over and over, you can read those wonderful things from the Lord. You know, John, 
John recorded for us how we can restore our relationship with the Lord. When he threatened the church at Ephesus that he was going to take away their candlestick, and I've told you this so many times, you ought to be able to teach me and remind me. Remember from whence thou art fallen, repent and do the first works. Do you remember how excited you were in what you did in the early days of your conversion? Repent for not continuing that level of affection up and start doing those things all over again. If there's a secret to this whole message, that's it. It's Revelation 2.5. If you want to get rid, if you want to get your first love back, remember from whence thou art fallen. That applies to a marriage and it applies to the Lord. Remember what it used to be like. Repent that it's not still that way. Do the first works. There it is in the word of God. There's a consummation coming, brethren. I can't tell you much about it. I told you this morning I couldn't tell you much about it. The marriage supper of the Lamb. Whatever that is, that is a picture to describe for us the ultimate intimacy that will exist between Jesus Christ and all of his elect. We will be filled with all the fullness of God in that day. We will be filled with all the joy that heaven now has in the presence of Jesus Christ. We will be united to him in a way that we have not realized yet. It will be wonderful. That is coming. All through the Bible, we have a marriage described. He has loved us with an everlasting love. He has drawn us with his loving kindness. He has sent the gospel, which is his proposal. We have answered it by being baptized in the practical phase of our marriage, the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's a consummation coming, which we have not seen yet, where all sin will be taken away. We will be in his presence forever, united to him in a way that without us, he is incomplete. The Lord Jesus Christ is incomplete without his elect because by the grace of God, he has made us partakers with him so that we are part of his body. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Amen. May the Lord bless today to cause you to measure your daily spiritual life by what, how good of a wife you are to the Lord Jesus Christ. And may it cause you to tremble about taking any of his things for granted because he considers it spiritual adultery. May the Lord bless us to be his peculiar people and his special bride is my prayer.